reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. Jesus went up the mountain and summoned those whom he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them forth and to have authority to drive, sorry, that he might send, send them forth to preach, to have authority to drive out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, whom he named Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, whom he named Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. The Gospel of the Lord. continue our focus on what was Jesus' focus during the celebration of the first Mass, when he prayed, as we see in John 17, that we might all be one as the Father and he are one. Yesterday I was at a day of recollection for priests that we hold every month, and the priest who was preaching the particular meditation started off in terms of how Jesus occasionally in the gospel gets very, very angry. He said, he who is totally humble and meek, he who welcomed the Samaritan woman and the woman caught in adultery and all those who were sick close to him to really be totally compassionate to him, that the same Jesus we see gets incredibly angry at the money changers in the temple. He gets angry at the scribes and the Pharisees who were judgmental. And then he asked the question, you know, if we were to see Jesus get angry now, what would Jesus get angry about? What would he bang his head, hand on a table about because he is so angry? When he started to say that, all of us were listening. And he said, I am totally convinced what the Lord would be incredibly angry about is how divided his church is and how most of us just go on with business as usual, not wanting what God wants. He wants us to be one. There are 35,000 Protestant denominations in the United States alone. Among Catholics, they're not even united sometimes in their families. They're not united in their parishes. Everybody starts to say that they're a conservative or a liberal much more than they say that they're a Catholic. And so we need to really pay attention to what the Lord's asking. Because I think the priest who is preaching that meditation is exactly right. If there's anything that would not only sadden the sacred heart of the Lord Jesus, but also make him very angry. It would sadden him the state of disunion among his family, but would make him angry is how little most of us do to try to bring about that reconciliation. So that's why these eight days of prayer for Christian unity are so important. That's why, even though I always celebrate the Feast of Saints, I trump St. Sebastian and Fabian today 
on their feast day because this is more important. Jesus said during John 17 that they will know that you are my disciples by your union. So may they be one, Father, so that the world may know that you sent me and that you love them just as much as you have loved me. And if we're not giving off that union like the union of the Trinity, then they're not going to recognize Jesus' mission. They're not going to recognize God's love. Today's first reading, the Lord gives us quite a bit about how we're supposed to bring about union. Saul had been hunting David down because he was envious of David. David and his troops were hiding in a cave. Saul has to relieve himself. It's always a reason. I'd love to preach this on a Sunday where I could say, that's why it's important for you not to go to the bathroom during Mass, unless it's an absolute emergency, and that's why you shouldn't be pounding coffee or juice or soda or anything else before Mass so that you need to go, because you just never know what's going to happen when you go to relieve yourself. Close the parentheses. David could have killed him right then. In many ways, he would have been justified out of self-defense because Saul wanted to kill him. But he didn't. Why not? He gave us the reason here, and he gave us the reason in two other places in the book of Samuel. It was because Saul, despite the fact that he was persecuting David and hunting him down out of envy, was still the Lord's anointed. He wouldn't hurt him because he was still the Lord's anointed. What does this have to do with Christian unity? So much of disunity become, it starts with sinful thoughts that become sinful words that become sinful actions. We lacerate each other with words. We harm each other in our thoughts and even in our actions because we forget that the other is the Lord's anointed. Just think about how many Catholics attack the Pope. Excuse me, he's been anointed over and over and over and over again by God. How many Catholics in the United States attack bishops? Excuse me, they've been anointed over and over and over again by God. How many Catholics, without any impunity, so they think, just lash out at priests for one thing or another. It's one thing if they lash out for priests for sins. It's quite another when they lash out at priests simply because they don't like something that they do, which isn't sinful at all. But maybe they lash out because the guy speaks with a heavy accent. And then, how many of us just rip each other apart, forgetting that we've been anointed, not just in baptism, but in confirmation. We've been filled with God and the Holy Spirit. Same thing with our Protestant brothers and sisters in baptism. And yet so often, we can forget that they will always be anointed. How much we need to learn from David about how to treat each other. That despite the fact that they might be doing something terribly evil, as Saul 
obviously was. He was still the Lord's anointed. And so we should still be very circumspect about the type of retaliation we take. That's why St. Paul would write in one of his letters that we were always to overcome evil with good. Today on this feast of St. Sebastian and Fabian, two who died for the faith, we remember how the martyrs prayed for their persecutors all the way until the time that their persecutors were ending their lives in martyrdom. And if they could deal that out of deal with that out of love for others, then we should clearly be able to suffer the little barbs that are given toward us and respond, remembering the divine anointing that the others have received. The gospel today is also very relevant for our prayers for Christian unity. First, we see Jesus praying, in fact, praying all night. Then when he came down, he called 12 to be with him so that he could then form them and send them out to preach his gospel and to have authority to drive out the devil. We see various elements here. First, Jesus' prayer, which always needs to be an inspiration for our own. Second, that he wants us to be with him. That's the first aspect of our faith. We need to come to him, to be formed by him in order effectively to go out and bring out unity. But what I want to focus on more than anything else is that Jesus came down and he didn't call just one. He could have called a team together, a team of 12, which is highly significant. He wanted to form something that would be a united movement. And so it didn't begin just by saying, hey, Simon, son of John over there, why don't you come? I'm going to make you Pope, and so I'm going to spend the next two years just forming you. Could have done that. He could have easily said, Peter, James, and John, you are the guys who are always going to be the closest three that I have here on earth. So see you later, everybody. I'm just going to form you three. No. He formed 12 right off the bat. Why is 12 an important number? Symbolizes the 12 tribes of Israel. He was constituting a new Israel, a new people of God. And that's where it would begin. Therefore, it's never enough for us to say, Jesus and moi, that's all that matters. Jesus and me. No. Jesus came to form a community right from the foundation of the church at the beginning. And that's why it is straight from the devil, this pseudo-Christian individualism that is one of the biggest spiritual cancers afflicting this parish. For people don't really get to know each other. They don't really become friends. They don't really become family. They don't become teammates at all. And that's got to change. The other thing that we see and among those who Jesus called, called a bunch of nobodies. 
But he also called some nobodies who are going to hate each other's guts out of the gate. I'll just focus on two. Matthew, tax collector, the worst public sinner in the time. Worse than a prostitute. A prostitute was obviously sinning. But a tax collector was ripping off his own people. Complicit with a foreign power that was putting their God on their coins and pretending that Caesar was God. The worst of all public sinners, Matthew, was called to be one of Jesus' twelve. Well, it would have been easy if he had chosen a whole bunch of tax collectors. Maybe they would have gotten along all reconciled sinners. But no, he also chooses Simon Zelotes. That word zealot basically meant someone whose entire mission was to go after the tax collectors, to go after the Romans. He was filled with zeal to get them out of Israel. Two people who were bound before the call to have been arch enemies. And yet, they were called to be part of the same team. There are going to be plenty of people who have different temperaments than we do. Plenty of people that we don't like in the church. Jesus never promised that we were going to like everybody. But he does call us to love everyone, to remember that they're anointed, and to work with them on the same team. What's happened this year with the New England Patriots as we get ready for the AFC Championship on Sunday? Bill Belichick has been casting off as ballast a whole bunch of very talented players all year long. For anybody who follows the Pats, they had serious problems on defense this year. So what was Bill Belichick doing the entire season long? Cutting very talented players on defense such that he was plugging in offensive players in the defensive side of the ball some weeks because they didn't have enough players. What was he doing? He recognized that there were a bunch of very gifted athletes, especially on defense, who couldn't function as a team, who were egomaniacs, who wouldn't learn the playbook, who didn't play with the discipline, who didn't put in the work in the weight room, with all types of other issues that would prevent their harmonization with the other moving parts of any NFL defense. So he cut him. Very courageous move, one for which he would have been criticized. But what he wanted to have is he wanted to have a bunch of players who would receive coaching and who would play together as a unit. They had their first good defensive game last week, and we'll see how they do on Sunday. We need to learn from that analogy about what it means to work together. Once we can start working together, then we can become a credible witness to the world of the unity that is meant to exist in the church. 
But if we have no unity, our message is nothing other than, to paraphrase St. Paul from another context, a noisy gong and a clashing cymbal. It will have the power to persuade no one. I remember when I was in seminary up in Toronto, we had a course on spiritual theology taught by an author of many books. He was an incredibly bright guy, but he had a terrible anger problem. And one day he was talking to us about God's love. And he was furious, such that his carotid arteries were about to pop out of his lung as his face was all red. And he was saying at the top of his lungs, Don't you see Jesus calls us to love each other? At which point, to lessen the tension in the room, I just started laughing uncontrollably in the classroom. And he got even angry and said, Why are you laughing? I said, How could you possibly, Father Robinson, teach us about God's love when you're screaming at the top of your lungs? I was wondering what his response was. But I actually towered over the man, so I wasn't afraid of any physical injury. And thanks be to God, touched by grace, he started laughing about how absurd it was. And it was absurd. Well, when are we going to stop the absurdity? Jesus calls us to preach unity. And that begins not just by nice-sounding words. It's not just by a few prayers of the faithful that we say together and mean. It's by actually becoming one. If we have to start with 12, we start with 12. But for the last several years, I have regularly been talking about that, that that is the way the Lord wants us to pray the Mass, as one family. And yet still, we struggle with a whole bunch of people sitting as isolated monads. That definitely would sadden Jesus and just might make him angry. Now he's asking us to change. What are we waiting for?